As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? (laughs) You mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The culture is the culture. It's four to six A to B, competitive excellence, and the brotherhood. The plan to win uh, has never changed. So the culture here and the plan to win is always going to be here at Ohio State. Welcome back to 4 to 6 with A&B, your high State podcast brought to you by The Athletic. This is Bill Landis, joined, as always, by Ari Wasserman. Ari, how you feeling? I'm feeling pretty good, man. How are you? You know, I'm great. I'm sitting here. Uh, I got my nice uh, athletic beanie on, courtesy of, of our guy Jason Lloyd. My head's nice and warm. Got my athletic hoodie on. So if anybody could see me right now, I'm brand loyal. Yeah, I mean, I know you are beanie inside guy. I, I, I'm starting to discover that about you. I don't know when that happened, but... I'm a big, like, hat in the house guy. I don't know why that is because I don't have a ton of hair, but I like wearing a hat in the house because I don't like combing my. I like not combing my hair, so big time. You'll see me on the Ryan Day press conferences. I'll, I'll wear a, a backwards hat. By the way, hilarious thread on Bucknuts about Doug wearing a backwards hat <laughs> during Ryan Day's last Zoom conference. And I don't know if Doug knows about this, um, and people came to his defense mostly for the most part, but it was just such a funny jumping off point. But someone was like, I can't believe he wore a hat backwards. Show respect for Ryan Day. It's like, if I could punch you in the face, I would punch you in the face right now. Yeah, I mean, I wear hats all the time because I can't control my hair. I don't do it when no one's going to see me, though. I just kind of walk around like a, with the Ace Ventura look right now. Uh, but that's only for your eyes, man. Yeah, I don't like. Uh, uh, yeah, I'll wear a hat. I'm on a Zoom call. Like for all I know, half the people on that Zoom call aren't wearing pants. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm gonna yeah, wear a hat. Yeah. I'll be okay. Also, like the lettuce on top of my head is like one of the only physical features that I got lucky with. So I'm gonna. You let do it have fly, good hair. You, know? you do have. Yeah, you've been blessed yeah. with great hair. That's true. Yeah. You know, my uh, girlfriend once told me a very wise thing. Nobody gets everything. So like everybody has their thing that they can like line like fall back on and. 
I didn't get the Zeus physique, uh, partially because of my own doing. But I know one thing: for a 34 year old man, I got some nice lettuce. Yeah, got some. You're 34. Yeah, 33 Jeez. going on 34. Going on 34, right? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I didn't get uh, my hair. Is my hair is leaving me? Uh, I wish my beard grew in nicer, but I am tall. I got that going for me. Yeah, you're tall. Yeah. yeah. You got good style. Yeah, you're a handsome yeah. man. I got. I'm six six. That works. Yeah. And when you're holding the pizza, you're the most handsome man in the room. So. That's right. That's right. <laughs> All right, uh, there's some stuff going on with Ohio State. Uh, for those of you who didn't just jump off, what we talked about, what we like about ourselves. Uh, Greg Madison is retiring at the end of the month. Co-defensive coordinator Ryan Day has a new hire to make on his staff. Uh, we want to get into what we think he might do with that position and also talk a little bit about what Ryan Day has done thus far as a staff builder and I think kind of how we how we feel about that. We'll do that toward the end of the show. Uh, there are 15 new early enrollees on campus. They, they got here over the weekend. Jesse Mirko, a punter from Australia, was actually here earlier, I think, and then the 14 high school guys who aren't 24 years old uh, showed up over the weekend. So 15 new players got to quarantine for a week, and then they'll get going. Uh, winter workouts are set to start on February 1st. But before we get to discussing any of that, I did last week put out some depth chart projections for 2021. One offense, one defense, theathletic.com slash 4-6. Get you subscribed. You can go read them. Please do so. And we wanted to go through both of those. I think to kind of get a vibe for where we think Ohio State is, where maybe we think they need to add something, where we think they're strongest, where we have the most concern. So let's kick it off with that, Ari. And, like, you know, my takes on it are mostly in that story. You didn't have a chance to give yours in written form, so you can give them now. You look at the team, what they have coming back, what jumps to mind first? Like, because there's play, there's positions we can look at, like, holy shit, they're loaded here. And there's others you can look at, like, eh, they might need a guy, like a transfer specifically, to step in here to, to kind of solidify this. Yeah, I think that the offensive side of the ball is pretty solidified. I, I look at that offensive side of the ball and say, hey, this team can be very productive. And if Henderson comes in and is playing really well at tailback in the spring, depending on what form that takes, and you know, you can start filling in the gaps of off-season discussions with the coaches. You know, I think that this offense has a chance to score 40 points a game again next year. And you know, some of the things that I've I've noticed, at least in consuming your awesome depth chart, is that they got guys back at positions that were going to be a problem if they didn't, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Like the fact that they have uh, Thayer Munford coming back. And not that they necessarily would have been in trouble, but Paris Johnson, you know, is probably going to play guard uh, this year. But, you know, just getting a bookend on the offensive line to make it three out of five, I think, is a crucial step. Jeremy Ruckert coming back, like what would the tight end position look like Mm -hmm. right now if Jeremy Ruckert decided to go pro? And honestly, I thought he played well enough to do that. Um, You know, there's certain places, at least on the offensive side of the ball, that, you know, you feel, hey, this team can be very good. And, you know, the number one thing I guess we could discuss and should discuss because that's what everybody cares about the most, including me, is is what's going to happen at the quarterback position. But, you know, as we've said in the past, I feel like they have enough options just from a pure talent standpoint to find somebody to be a standout quarterback you know it just kind of reminds me of like what do you need from your quarterback to make the playoff and it's like jt barrett freshman year like that could be duplicated i think very easily Mm -hmm. um you know and i say that easily and that might be a hot take but with the with the talent that's coming into that position i think that they should be able to duplicate that right i don't know i think i I think they'll probably be able to throw the ball better with what they have now than what they did at the start of that 2014 jt was great like he stepped in and like I guess the Virginia Tech game was bad, but he looked pretty good from almost a jump in that Navy game. Different offense, but in terms of being able to throw the ball, I think even this team with a 
green quarterback who has never thrown a pass in a game, no matter who it is, I think is pretty well positioned to be a dynamic passing team in, in a different way than than it was when JT was around. So it's like their JT, I think it's great. Um, but I, th- I think the ceiling's higher for, for, yeah. for whoever this guy is. And I think, too, you, you can kind of make the same uh, generalization, you know, talking about broad strokes here about the defensive side of the ball. They got some guys back, um, you know, in – pretty important position groups that they wouldn't have had uh, if they decided to leave. Now, they lost Tommy Togiai unexpectedly in the interior defensive line, but I think returning Haskell Garrett's a huge plus. Mm -hmm. Because of the way he played last year, I think you can already pencil him in as one of the best interior defensive linemen in the country returning. You know, at defensive end, Tyreek Smith could have gone. Having Tyreek Smith on the other side of Zach Harrison. Like, I look at this with Teron Vincent and – Jaron Cage, like they've got enough on the defensive line to have a very good defensive line again. The linebacker position, um, certainly going to be interesting, but new talent, new blood at a position where people feel like that should have happened two years ago in some cases with, you know, an elite level player like Taraja Mitchell stepping in. And, you know, you know, you got Dallas Gant. These are guys who have been on the roster uh, for a long time. That should be very productive. Now they're new names, but they're not new, they're not new players. And like, I think that there's a lot of, um, potential in the backup ranks bill like craig young for instance is somebody that i've been excited to see how they how they produce you know as a backup sand linebacker and then of course in the secondary i think this is the one place where you might want to poke some holes i think that the way lathan ransom played as a true freshman gives me confidence in what he could do as a safety um josh proctor somebody who's been in the system for now going on four years uh you know seven banks had a pretty solid year then cam brown comes back from injury like when you look at the starters ohio state is far and away better off than I would have envisioned they'd be um, after a season like that. And, you know, they lost some guys. There's no question about it. But at the receiver position, we know what that is. Running back, they've got an Ezekiel Elliott-type player coming in. Quarterbacks, they've got three top 100 players or at least three players that were once ranked in the top 100 at some point in their recruitments coming in. At You know, and now you have a bunch of gaps to fill on, you know, depth and things like that. But with the class they just signed, like this roster is like a really good-looking roster to me. It's not like – project them to win national championship in January the way we might have done a year ago. Um, and even then we kind of built up to that. Um, and maybe we'll build up to that again when we get to, to June and July. But looking at it right now, I think this is a really good football team. Yeah, I wasn't expecting to have any real concerns on the offensive side. And and the only one I think I could have had was tight end if Rucker didn't come back because then it's like Drew Royer, um, Kate Stover, who's – relatively new to the position and sam hart coming in like you i think in that scenario you you need to get a transfer and now i, th- I think they're okay um with those four not to say i think they might add one um if they wanted to especially if they want to play more with or at the same rate um with two tight ends as they played the last two years i actually don't think they're going to so it doesn't matter um so i think they're good there losing Munford would have sucked but but i think Paris johnson was ready to step into that role dewan jones is still around i think he's ready to start too um one of them is probably not going to which is interesting and and i think could create some some shuffling on on the roster or some changes on the roster we'll we'll see how that shakes out um after spring ball but i will say like doing the defensive thing i do I, i think i feel a little better than i thought i would before i sat down and and kind of thought through all of that i i think they're they're solid um and and i guess that's to be expected but i don't really know like where they're dynamic you know what i mean like i don't don't think they were particularly dynamic anywhere last year on defense and they certainly were at multiple positions two years ago and i think they need to get back to that a little bit especially when we like we're big 10 whatever but we're talking about winning national championships um 
I kind of feel like they need like more dudes. Like they have really solid players, but I'm talking about like next level elite game changing kind of guys. And certainly there are guys with that potential on defense, but I don't know if you look at any one player and I'd be like, yeah, I feel very confident that that guy is going to be this type of player next year. I don't like, do you look at anyone and feel that way on the defensive side of the ball? Yeah. I feel like I'm there with Haskell Garrett. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know. You know, the interior defensive line, when you have a legit guy who can disrupt, that's a huge thing. But the thing that kind of sticks out to me more so than anything in terms of the prevailing thought outside of are they in a good position overall, because I think they are, is that you're back in a position now where you're leaning on a lot of these guys from, you know, the 18 class and, you know, guys who were labeled those game changers who haven't become them yet. It's like Tyreek Smith is in his fourth year already. And, like, we've seen flashes for three years now of what he can be. And just, like, this guy's a senior. If he can get fully healthy, we can escape this torturous world of the virus and, like, let him get some momentum because he had been injured his entire career at certain points. Nothing major, but, like, over and over and over again. Like, that's a guy who I think can become or play his way into being a first-round selection. Now, that's crazy maybe to some people, but he is super athletic. And the reason why he earned offers from Power 5 schools before he ever played is because of the way he moves in relation to his size and ability. So, you know, Zach Harrison's another one. Like, we thought by his third year he'd be Chase Young. Yeah. Now, he's not Chase Young, but can he become one of the best sack artists in the game? Absolutely. Can Jack Sawyer be, like, the freshman version of Abosa? Absolutely. Like, if you want to, like, try to find – like, who's dynamic? Like, is Teron Vincent the light going to come on for him? I know he spent some time being injured this year. He gets healthy. It was the discussion we had coming into the year. Like, can he be the five-star, number one defensive tackle in the country that he was recruited to be? Now, I think that, you know, the linebacker position in general, like, there's guys that I think can step in. But, like, maybe now that some of the older linebackers on this roster for 23 years are gone, like, Taraja Mitchell can finally settle in and be what we think he is. It's like – Maybe the jury's out on a guy like Tyreek Johnson, but like Cam Brown was somebody they really wanted to count on last year, and he hurt himself. So, like, healthy now, could he turn out to be one of the lockdown corners that Harry Combs has made such a, a habit of developing? Like, is Lathan Ransom an, emer- an emerging star as a safety? Like, nobody that you can say and go into your bag and say absolutely is going to be a stud, but as is the case with every other Ohio State team, there's like six legit candidates that could turn out to be really, really good football players. And if only three of those happen, then you have three dynamic players on your defense, and that's a good enough defense to win a national championship. So the fact of the matter is is that, and this is why I pound recruiting into people's brains so much, it's just like a lot of teams look at their depth chart after a year of losing a lot of, of, of players and go, well, we don't even have the guys to do this. It's like Ohio State always has the guys. Now it's about that developmental phase. And I don't know if you want to have that discussion of, like, how does Alabama do it? Because Alabama does it better than anybody. But Ohio State has the pure talent and has recruited in a way where they have a lot of pieces on this team that can turn out to be really good players. And it's like the one thing that I'm maybe overlooking, and I I, I might overlook somebody and you tell me, but, like, it seemed to me, and I had this thought, maybe something you could do unless I'm completely wrong or they haven't recruited this way in the in the last few years, but – I thought Urban Meyer, the first four years he was the head coach, they did a hell of a job of turning three-star players like Darren Lee into first-round picks and guys who came out of nowhere to turn into not just, you know, players who were contributing but, like, legit stars. Like, Darren Lee was a star in college. 
I'm not sure that's happened at all. And like, granted, that happened with Chris Olave, and I think it was just a misrating in high school due to eligibility. But still, and and I think he's like one of only a handful of players that are even in the discussion to, or that even had the rating to be in that discussion. So maybe it's not a fair thing to have. But it's just like, who are the guys that are really supposed to step up and do things that like? Ty Hamilton, is he supposed to be the next interior defensive lineman that's going to light the world on fire? Is he the next three-star guy? It's like we know that they're recruiting at a crazy level, but it would be cool to see dynamic players rise out of nowhere. I just don't know if they've recruited enough of them for that to be a thing or not. Yeah, it does feel a little different. And like the, rec- the recruiting did change. Like We've talked about that a million times. Like from The recruiting from 2017 until now, I think, is, is on another level for the most part than it was from 2012 up and up until that point, um, with yeah. the 13 class, I think, being the exception. Um, so it's it's the, the makeup of the class is, is a little different. But I, I do – like Ty Hamilton's a good one. Um, he, like, he had some buzz last year in camp that surprised me a little bit, and it didn't translate to a ton of run, but it was also a weird year. But if he's had a full year of development, I think he had to change his body a little bit to be more of an interior interior guy. Um, I think he could be someone Chris Olave is like the, like the poster boy for that. But I agree with you. That's like, he was, he was rated so low because he didn't play. He didn't play his junior year. Right. So he, his Who was the last was, player on Ohio state's roster that you could even compare to Darren Lee in terms of the trajectory that happened that fast. Um, well, like Malik Hooker was after him. So I guess that, um, but recently, like Devon Hamilton became a third round pick, but it took him five years. But he was a pretty lowly, lowly rated guy, right? Um, and it's like three, people three star even local remember prospect. like how important Antoine Jackson was during the recruiting process. Like he was like the JT Tui Malau of his recruiting class. Like he wasn't as highly rated, but like people were insanely obsessed with him. He was the yeah he was the white whale that year, and they didn't get yeah. him. Um, and they got like he's another interesting guy too. I, like I thought he played okay last year. He didn't, he, he was overshadowed by Haskell Garrett and Tommy Togiai, but I thought when he was in there, he, he was okay. But I don't know that the jump that Tommy and Haskell made last year was insane. And I don't, I wouldn't expect that of anybody, but it's like, you know, Antoine Jackson was like the number 60 something overall player in his class coming out of high school. And it he had a weird year to get to this point, but you know, he's going to be a sixth year defensive tackle. I, like maybe there's another step for him to get to. I, I, I don't know. Um, Teron Vincent is is not the kind of guy we're talking about, but I think is is poised to make a little bit of a leap in, in that way. And but the the thing with it is like they, I think we wonder this every year, right? And it did happen for Ohio State in the 2020 season, but it happened at like one position basically. It happened at defensive tackle, um, and I, it would be to Ohio State's benefit, I think, if they could get some of these guys on the back end, specifically in the secondary to make this kind of jump because it didn't we were all about seven banks coming out of camp like we we drank that cool later at least i did um and it didn't it didn't really happen like he, he was he was okay he was inconsistent i don't think he was bad but it wasn't quite what i expected it to be and maybe this is the year that happens cam brown i don't know like you said he got hurt but he he also like pretty clearly didn't beat out seven banks in camp either um coming in the last season so i don't know I, i'm I'm on alert for them to bolster that back end somehow. I think I would be surprised if they didn't add a transfer. And I don't think you just had anybody. Maybe maybe nobody pops that that's worth it. Um, but the, I think the transfer world is going to get wild this offseason. And if there's a guy in there who they think can start at this level, I, I think they look hard at that and try to go get them. I don't like. What, do you think they're going to look to add transfers to this defense, or you think they're going to move forward with what they have right now? 
Yeah, no, I think that if there's somebody that makes sense to add, then you do it, you know? And it's just like that's the, the difficulty with the transfer portal, not just discussing it, but, like, relying on it. Because it's just you don't know who's going to fall out of the sky. Now, mm-hmm. Justin Fields is the greatest single find in the history of the, the transfer portal, and it's like that shit's not going to happen very often. So They're and, like and three for a, three, right? They got Jonah Jackson was a hit, I think. Yeah, Fields was a hit. Sermon. Sermon was a hit. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I think – more so than not, people are going to be the beneficiary of the transfer portal um, when Ohio State players leave um, than they are going to receive because they're recruited so insanely good that they don't have holes to fill. But in the event that they do, like this makes a lot of sense. It's like I look at the safety position and it's just like, which player on this safety position do you think is going to be like the next Jordan Fuller? It's like Marcus Hooker had his year. Things didn't go the well the way he planned. Ronnie Hickman. You know, looked good in, in pieces, but I'm not sure that I think that's guy that has to be on the field. Josh Proctor never turned into uh, Malik Hooker, and Lathan Ransom is like probably the only player in that entire room that I think, hey, this guy's got a legit chance of being a game changing safety. And maybe that's not fair to Bryson Shaw, but he's going into his third year, and we haven't seen much from him either. Mm-hmm. It's like finding a legit safety who can come in and play, and 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 play it well. I think is an interesting dynamic to look at. I, it's a matter of whether or not there's somebody who is better than those guys in the portal. And more often than not, the guys who are good don't leave as often. Yeah. Because it's the same thing. Like in the real world, people who are shitty at their jobs stay there forever. You know, because <laughs> they don't get promoted. So, and it's like that's kind of like that's Doug Maurice talking through me again. But you know, it's it's true. So, um, you know, I don't know if it means like repositioning guys and spending an entire off season doing it. It's like Legend Cavazos, for instance, like wants to be a cornerback, and his entire recruitment was all about being a quarterback, but like a corner. But like he is super athletic, fast, rangy, and can pop people. And it's like, can he? They make him like one of the best safeties in the country. Mm-hmm. I think that like he has the body for it, right? You know, yeah, I, think so. I, I, and it's like kind of like figuring out where to make those changes and actually go all in on because we piecemealed. Uh, or we, we talked about how they piecemealed together a secondary for the Alabama matchup, and it's like that shit's not going to work. So, you know, I think there's some interesting um, discussion points, too, of like Larry Johnson is the most amazing defensive line coach in America. It's like, well, you got Noah, Parta, uh, Noah Potter, Carmonte Hamilton, Darian Henry, and Jacoby Cowan all right there. It's like make one of those dudes a first-round pick now. You know what I mean? And I'm not questioning his ability to develop somebody, but you're talking about like that discussion of – you know, three-star guys who might be able to come in and play. And I know not all those guys are three-star guys, but they're lower-rated four-stars in comparison to the rest of their class. It's like, is Noah Potter going to turn out to be a second-round pick one day, or is he just going to be another name in the other candidate section? You know, there's like yeah. there's a lot of different pieces here that Larry Johnson can work with, and I think they could have a legit defensive line. Um, you know, defensive tackle, I think, is all – I mean, Cage came out and played really well in his spots this year, I thought. You know, Haskell Garrett – Teron Vincent, Antoine Jackson, six-year guy. You know, you've got really good, legit collection of players there. And then inside, again, you have, you know, Jaden McKenzie, Ty Hamilton, Tyleek Williams, you know, some some freshmen coming in. Like, there's a lot of, of meat on the bone there for Larry Johnson to make a really good defensive line. I think linebacker, they have so many candidates that they, there's so much you can do there. Now, I think what they the, the biggest uh, dynamic to, to take – attention to is like what happens with like the bullet position or the so and so safety like that's the major discussion i think that's probably yeah. going to bleed into um but like is like court williams like the most important player this offseason in this defense like is that the way we're viewing it looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I, I think he's very important. I, the, the thing I struggled the most with when doing that depth chart projection was what to do with Court Williams and like the safety slash Sam linebacker deal because they had like a, a hybrid there two years ago in Pete Werner. Last year they had Baron Browning, who's very much like a traditional Sam linebacker, cover a little bit, but you're not putting him in man coverage very much. He'll rush off the edge, make plays on, on the perimeter. Uh, I I think Court Williams can be more like what Pete Werner was two years ago if they want to go that route. But I also think, just from talking with Court Williams before he got hurt, that he might be able to play free safety. I, I would be surprised if you just like look at his build; he doesn't look like a free safety. He looks like a he looks like a, a smaller linebacker or a bigger safety, but he doesn't look like a traditional kind of center fielder. But that's where they had him. I remember going out the first day of spring practice back in last March, nineteen years ago, when um, we saw the defense line up 11 on 11 for the first time. And court Williams, I think mostly as a byproduct of injuries at the time was the starting free safety with the first team defense. And I don't, I don't know if that was just necessity because they had to do it or if that's how they actually view him. And, and if that's how they actually view him, maybe you put him there and you move some guys around like Josh Proctor. I don't think he was better than Marcus hooker playing free safety. I thought, I don't know if that's where he's best utilized but he is also one of their best 11 defenders. Like he's going to be on the field. And, and I think like even he could do that kind of role. He's, he's like 205 pounds or 210 pounds. So like he's much smaller than a, than a normal linebacker, but in terms of being able to play down and play in the box and tackle in the backfield, play the run, um, he can certainly cover tight ends. Like, I, I don't know, maybe you use him. Like that's, that's a real hybrid hybrid. If, if you're doing that, that's, that's like the Viper stuff that, that Michigan. What's was the, doing. what's the ideal build of somebody like that? I th- uh it's like if if Court Williams like had I think Josh Proctor's height. I think Court Williams is like six one ish and he Proctor's is, yeah. like six two, like between six two and six three. It's like if you could combine those two into one player, like I think that's your guy. Um but you can't, so it's just a matter of like how do you where those two guys stick, because I think they're both gonna play, I think kind of like shapes this entire defense. Because I like Lathan Ransom too, but I don't know if he's a center fielder. Maybe he will be. They use him as a nickel um last year and he was playing man coverage and passing situations um the way i had it was was lathan ransom at sam or sorry court williams at sam linebacker with proctor and ransom at safety and i think those two at safety give you a little more disguise with what you want what you want to do defensively um stuff along the lines of what we saw them doing toward the end of the year but it would still line up with too deep even when even though they did rotate after the snap to playing single high even that little bit of post-snap rotation, I think, puts you in, in a little bit of a better situation with the personnel that Ohio State has. And I think both of those guys back there together, Proctor and Ransom, um, are kind of equally equipped to, to play back sometimes, play up sometimes, play man coverage sometimes. Um, 
But Core Williams, I can like legitimately can see him playing three different positions, and I don't really know where he fits. And where he fits, I think, sort of makes the whole other puzzle kind of come together on the back end. Can I hit you with a curveball here? Yeah. Third year player Craig Young, isn't that your guy? I like Craig Young a lot. Um, I think like he doesn't is, he have the ideal? He's six four, isn't he? Yeah, I think I think Craig Young is more like Baron Browning. Um, and while he did play. He was like the backup Sam, basically. Um, he would come in behind Browning, and it seemed like he was ahead of Kavon Pope. I don't know if that was an injury deal or what. But I do like Craig Young. I don't like Craig Young as like the the bullet kind of deal, if, we were, if we're calling it that. But I do like him as uh, like a regular kind of traditionally used Sam linebacker like Baron Browning was last year. I had, him, I had him in my head the day he signed that he was the next Aaron Lee. Yeah, bigger guy, I think, but similar kind of athlete. I'll never forget. Yeah. I think I think every time I bring him up, I'll I mention this, but the the camp I was at in the summer, I guess it was two years ago, maybe it was three years ago, and Craig Young, I think, was working with the defensive backs, if I'm not mistaken, and like Urban Meyer just like watched him go through two reps at defensive back, had like a little side conversation with Mark Pantoni, and then sent Craig Young to work with, work with the linebackers, and then like two weeks later, Craig Young committed, and I was like, oh yeah, he's a linebacker now. It was just like Urban Meyer realizing in that moment what that kid was going to be, um, like a, a versatile, positionless kind of athlete, and like it hit Urban Meyer in that second, like that kid's a linebacker. I thought like it was and he's big enough, fast yeah. enough, and athletic enough to do a lot of things, and it's just like you have him in the the six hundred and ten range in his recruiting profile, and it's just like that's the guy, you know. And all the times that people like say the only hope that some of these middle tier teams have to win a national championship is to hit on a bunch of gems, well. Big time programs hit on those gems too, and it's like I thought that was going to be one. Not that he yeah. hasn't have the potential to still do it, but like in terms of like the discussion of outside linebackers, somebody who played safety in high school, somebody who came into Ohio State with a six foot three or six foot four, two hundred pound build, who's athletic, fast, and rangy. Like in my brain, that's who I would like insert into that discussion. And I like know, I don't know like how I don't he's know how he from, covers. Yeah. Um, and that's not to say he can't. I just don't. I don't know. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. If if you're that guy, if we're talking about that guy and the way it was used in 2019, it's like that guy's got to be able to cover tight ends. Um, and I would think that maybe Craig Young can. He's he's pretty athletic. He might actually be the most like the best athlete on the team. I, that's I, what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah, I think he's in a conversation for that. And from a from a size standpoint too, yeah. he's right in that conversation. Yeah, I think he is. Um, maybe I didn't give him enough consider. Like I, I really wanted to put Court Williams somewhere. Um, and maybe I put you had to put him somewhere. You had no choice. Um, but Craig Young, yeah, Craig Young's an interesting guy to keep him. Like I, I don't think like Craig Young is not going to play safety. Like he's he's an outside linebacker for sure. And like maybe he'll grow. I think he's like listed at two hundred and thirty something pounds now. Um, if he gets bigger, maybe he can grow in and, and like play like Malik Harrison's old position and play Will linebacker. And and there's some like actual rotation there with he and Taraja Mitchell and, and Dallas Gant. I think that's that's on the table. Um, he's got some versatility within that, or like Justin Hilliard had similar versatility. I think you can kind of play him at all three spots potentially if he gets a little bigger. Um, but he would be a prime candidate, like to go back to what we were talking about before, lower rated guy who who like might pop and surprise you and like become a real real kind of dude. I think Craig Young could be that for sure. Yeah, yeah. It just seems like his skill set, his build, his ability, all at a time where they're trying to find answers in that general area of the field seems to be like an interesting person to like track during the offseason. Yeah, I think I think that's right. Um, who I wrote this thing with the fifteen early enrollees. 
that's also on the athletic theathletic.com slash four districts sign up go read it landis has been busy boys i'm not expecting that thing was way more of an endeavor than i thought it would be it's it's a thought which is actually like six thoughts you know soul is one thought and then like a much watch must watch clip of each guy and like what i think of that clip and why i picked it and I have uh, 15 of the, well, 14 and a half because I couldn't find a clip of the punter, Jesse Murko. But if you're curious about any of these guys, you can go read that. But the, the thing that, came, that I came away with is um, I'm not expecting many of these guys to re- really, really push for playing time as true freshmen. Um, McCord, at quarterback, I think is the obvious one because I, I think he can win that, com- that competition. Trevion Henderson is another obvious one because he's so different. But, like, I really think for as deep as they are or appear to be a defensive tackle or defensive line, um, Jack Sawyer is going to play a lot. I don't. I just don't think for as well as Tyreek Smith played at the end of the year, like he was awesome against Clemson. I'm not totally sure how dynamic that position is, and I like I truly like Jack Sawyer is like cut from that same cloth as the Boses, and I think they're going to use him early. I think he might he might actually be the guy that ends up playing the most. I think out of all these freshmen. Yeah, can I throw a curveball at you? Because I love doing sure. this. I was never good at hitting like, them, but go for it. I mean, like, number one player in the class playing early, I think, is like... That's, no, it's not It's not a hot It's not a hot take, but I, no, like, no, if, I you, if you ask everybody, like, who do you think is going to play the most of this freshman class, I think, I think nine out of ten people might say Trevion Henderson. Yeah, just because of maybe need. Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying that what you said is wrong. It's, it's certainly right, but the one player that I think is kind of being overlooked in this class, and, like, I read your, your thing, and... I guess from your standpoint, he might not be physically capable uh, of playing right away, but like Sam Hart is stepping in at a place that's of of thin depth. Mm-hmm. And like, I think he was a top 15 tight end in the class. So like he's a three, three star player and number 389 overall player in the country. But like they went all the way to, to Aurora Denver area to get this kid. And like he, might be somebody who works into the mix at that position from the beginning. And it's like you don't often think of guys like lower in that class, right? Like mm-hmm. you always look at the top ten players in a certain class and just go, those are the guys who are going to compete. But like sometimes when when these types of positions are lowerly rated because they're not as sexy as some of the other positions, but being a top 15 player at your position, regardless of what it is or what your ranking is, is a really important thing. And like he, I think, might be better than he gets credit for too. I think he is a little better than I don't better than he gets credit for. Maybe maybe he is a, he's a he's number three eighty nine overall in the class. He's a three star prospect. That's like that's like close to highish end three star, but still a three star. He's only listed at two hundred and twenty five pounds, and like that could be old. I'm pretty sure he didn't play high school football this fall. I don't think Colorado played high school football this fall. So he definitely could have changed his body in the way we've seen guys like Jack Sawyer and Trevion Henderson change their bodies, even though they didn't play this fall. But if he's legit, if he's actually 225 pounds showing up here, um, that's not big enough. But he also has from now until August to add on weight, and we've seen like Enoch Vimahi add it like 70 pounds <laughs> between the time he got here and the time he got on the or got the by the time his freshman season started. So it is possible. Um, I was but just trying to nothing, think a little bit outside the box. And well, I don't there's know nothing that, there. There's not like it's Rucker. Like Rucker's the guy, but behind him, it's like Kate Stover, who's not really played. Joe Royer, who I don't think played at all, and Sam Hart. So he absolutely could get on the field if he. If and he, they like playing two tight ends a lot, don't they? 
if they have the guy? They they have the last two years, yeah. It was, but they it was, had two really good tight ends. With yeah, them. it was a serious yeah. uptick two years ago, and then this past year was even more, um, like surprisingly more. It was basically 12 personnel like almost half the time. Um, I don't think that's going to be the case next year because of all the receivers they have, but I think it's still something they'll want to do. And it's like, okay, you have Ruckert. Who's the other guy? Who do you feel good about as the other guy? And, like, Kate Stover's a crazy good athlete. I don't know how good of a tight end he is, but he's a really good athlete. Yeah. Um, and I was also wondering, too, um, what were your thoughts of prior? Because uh, everybody talks about Henderson. They need running backs. And maybe that's – I don't know. Maybe they don't need it as much as we thought they did in the past because they're going to have multiple options. But, like, in a world where we're discussing uh, true freshmen potentially starting, like – Evan Pryor was really highly rated, too. He's the number know. six overall running back in the country. Yeah. <laughs> it's like if they only had him, people would love him. <laughs> He's smaller than me. Yeah. Uh, or was at the time that I saw him. So I don't know Compact. what that means. Yeah. yeah, like he's not a big dude. Um, so he's not built like a, uh, like Meatball, uh, Mayan Williams, you know. But like they um, – there seems to be a, a, a spot there for somebody to do something. And it's just like – is it wrong to just assume that Henderson is the guy and only the guy, or is like Pryor good enough to play, or do you think he needs another year to like work on his on his stature or his, his size? Um, I mean, he's he's like 5'10", 190, which is pretty good. I, I think you compare him to like a Demario McCall or a Curtis Samuel, and I do think it's possible that Pryor is more ready coming in to be a college running back than those guys were. Um and if they decide to make him like a pure hybrid and he's got to learn some more receiver stuff, maybe that, that makes means his development will take a little bit longer. But in terms of being like a depth piece at running back, I, I think he can do something right away. They're just so deep there. It's like like Hen, like Henderson's coming into a room that has – I don't know if deep's the right word. Crowded is probably a better word. Um, T, Crowley, Chambers, Meatball, and now you had Trey Henderson and, and Evan prior to that. Like my anticipation, and I, I put him down as my starter, is that Trey Henderson is going to be the starter. Um, if not at day one, then, then at some point. But if you look at the skill set of all those guys and what Ohio State w- ideally would like from its backs in its run scheme, um, I think Henderson is fit for it. I think Mayan Williams is fit for it uh, in more of a way that I anticipated. Marcus Crowley probably is if he's healthy. And then it's probably prior. Like if I was ranking them in terms of ability and fit, I think I would put prior fourth in the offense or fourth in the running back room. Um, now, experience also matters. Your physical shape that you get into or how much you have to grow matters. But um, I'm not going to – I do think he's – like as a prospect, he gets overlooked a little bit because the number one player in his position is, is coming in with him. But he is really good. If he was if he was the lone guy in this class coming in, we wouldn't be talking about him quite in the same way as Trevion Henderson because he's that's the first five-star running back they've gotten since Beanie Wells. But I do think people will be talking about him as a potential starter in year one the same way we're talking about Trevion Henderson because he's that talented. Yeah. And another one, too, that I don't know is going to get to see the field um, because Ohio State was fortunate to get some guys back on the offensive line. But Donovan Jackson is legit good. He's very good. I think, th- I think the J- Donovan Jackson is in the same breath uh, from a complete prospect standpoint, as Paris Johnson was, like I think he's that good. Yeah, it's. I don't. I think maybe interior guys don't get talked about the same way, but I, I agree with you. Um, I, I like him a lot. He, like, I'm not a professional talent evaluator. I don't pretend to be, but I've watched you know the best plays of all these guys on their huddle tape, 
and I could convince myself that Donovan Jackson's the best player in the class. I think that that is a fair thing to think, and I sometimes wonder too, and I don't think that there's any way that he's going to start, I don't know, over Paris, who's been in the program for a year. But, like, if guard is his natural position, like, I could – and it, I wouldn't be shocked to hear a conversation about who is the guy there next year. Like, yeah. I don't know if passing over Paris Johnson is something that Ohio State's equipped to do or should do. I'm not even saying they should. I'm just saying if it were a discussion in uh, July – about who's going to play left guard, then I think that like I could convince myself to have that conversation. Well, two things. One, he's not here yet. He's not going to get here till the summer. But I don't think that would severely impede him from competing for a starting job. I think Thayer Munford, Nick Petit, and Paris Johnson and Harry Miller all start next year somewhere. So I think four of the jobs are locked down, shuffle the pieces however you want. When that all settles, there's going to be another guard spot open, most likely right guard. And, like, Matt Jones was good coming back or coming in to start last year. I think DeWan Jones is ready to start and could play guard even though he's a gigantic human who blocks out the sun. Um, I think Luke Whippler might be ready. And I think Donovan Jackson might be ready when he shows up. So, like, if Donovan Jackson is a starting right guard, uh, that could cause some pretty big shakeup to your room. And they have really good depth there. But he's good. I think he's good enough to do it. I think it's a rare guy that comes across that's ready to start right away. Parrish Johnson is one of them. It, there just wasn't the opening. I think Donovan Jackson is one of them, and maybe that opening won't emerge, but he could also show up in the summer and start kicking ass and be their starting right guard in August. Yeah, I think Ohio State's recruiting well enough where we have to have a discussion of which true freshman can start because they're coming in built and more equipped to compete than even five, six years ago. Mm-hmm. And if that happens, does Ohio State have to make decisions based on which personnel to start as a result of protecting their room and their depth. Right. And it's like that's a discussion that we have to have about quarterback. It's like because if Kyle McCord shows up and is like the number one player without question and is the best quarterback on Ohio State's roster, like can you from a logistical standpoint even start him if you want to? It's a fascinating like, question. Was, it's really a fascinating question. You know, question. and it's just like what are you going to do? Just say goodbye to Str- – because they would both bolt immediately, right? you I got a guy who's a year enough. behind them who's yeah. going to be the starter for the next three years. Then you lose everything, and then you're banking on yours coming in. And even that is something that gives people some uh, queasiness, considering what happened at Texas and the fact that he initially committed there. Uh, I'm working my ass off to try to get over there to Southlake, by the way, because it's like 40 minutes from where I live. Um, they got a Whataburger over there or what? They do, yeah. Nice. And, nice, and nice, nice. Best fast food city in America. It's good. Dallas is just the recent- best fast food city in America. That's true. Yeah. They've got both sides. they got both coasts. We got In N Out and we got Whataburger. You know, we got Jack in the Box. We've got Culver's. They got a cane. They got Canes down there. They've they got, got Canes. Zaxby's they've down got Brahms. They've got Zaxby's. Man, that's good. Um, they've got Jollibee. Not that I've ever been there, but I thought I'd throw that in there. Yeah. And they also have a bunch of also like independent like uh, Mexican fast food places that don't exist anywhere else in the country that are legit. If you like Mexican fast food, and they also have. Um, Brahms, that makes a pretty good burger. I don't know if you've been there, that place that's like got ice cream. Yeah, too. yeah, I've been there. Yeah, in yeah. Oklahoma. Um, they've got everything, man. Do they have um, Guthrie's down there? I don't even know what that is. It's a chicken finger joint, like very similar to Cane's and Zaxby's. I went to one in Florida because someone like tweeted at me and said, you got to go here to get, I guess, like to get all the data you need to compare chicken finger joints. Um, yeah, it's it was, all about data collection. Yeah, it was. I actually, I think I'm in a minority. I like Zaxby's a little more than I like Canes, but I thought I thought Guthrie's was worse than both of them. Have you ever 
bit heard of the restaurant Ranch One? No. Okay, well, that used to be, like, a big thing um, back, like, in high school and, like, uh, in Arizona specifically. And they were, like, the inventor. They were, like, Chick-fil-A before Chick-fil-A happened. Nice. Where they had, like, an emphasis on the chicken sandwich and chicken fingers. And I don't know. There's a few of them still open. But there's also a place called Chicken Now. And there's a few in, like, food courts. Like, there's one in Dallas. And they, they serve it with, like, cream, like with corn and mashed potatoes. And their chicken fingers are so good. But... From a sta- I don't know how good this, of a pizza town this is yet because I've been dieting since I've been here and I haven't been able to really collect my data. But from a <laughs> driving around standpoint, when you look out the window, there is all these like fried fried chicken restaurants like Golden Chick. Have you seen those? Yes. Have you seen Chicken Express? Like they're, mm-hmm. well, everything they have is here. And they also have Rosati's Pizza. Like you could get fat real quickly here if that's your sort of thing. I'm trying to think of... Um there's a pizza place in Dallas that I went to that I really liked. You and I went there. Remember we went? We were there for the opening across the street from the Star. Oh yeah, I know where it is. Yeah, we. I thought that was just fine, like upscale seventeen dollar Neapolitan pizza. Like yeah, that. it was. I mean, it's not the best pizza I ever had, but it was pretty good. Better than um, what's the other place we went to? It was just had like had the Goodfellas vibe, but the food wasn't good. Yeah, Campisi's. Campisi's. Yeah, 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 not very good. Yeah, not very good. There's one in the airport. Yeah, if it's in the airport, it's probably not that good. Yeah, but like they've got Raising Cane, Jack in the Box, McDonald's, Chick Fil A, Arby's, Raising Cane's, uh, Wendy's. I mean, everything, every fast food joint that a person could possibly want, they have here. This Ranch uh, One looks interesting. It's like flame grilled chicken. I, I thought it would be like fried chicken. They had fried too, and their fried chicken sandwich was like legit. It just doesn't exist anymore. So the one thing I want to try before we get back to football is I want to try the Jolly Bee. Uh, fried chicken spicy sandwich because i'm just a big fan of spicy chicken sandwiches um but like in terms of like everything they also have shake shack here um yeah they've got everything here so it's like from a geographical standpoint we got the and they have that that florida chain too pollo tropical have you ever heard of that i have florida i've never had it but i I yeah i've eaten there it's pretty good they've got them in texas too so like I'm all set for when the diet, when the wheels inevitably fall off. Nice, nice. It's good to have options once the wheels fall off. Yeah. yeah you know I mean? and, then, and then when the significant other gets angry, I'm just trying to collect as much data as I can <laughs> in order to, like, rank the best food. It's all and they also have, like, all these awesome, fast, casual taco places like, like Torchies that just don't even exist in the Midwest. Still waiting for Torchies to come up here. I think it's going to happen someday. Yeah. It's like Condado, I think, is terrible. In comparison to, like, actual cool... Not a, not a huge fan of Condado um, and Barrio, which is, like, very similar in Cleveland. Also just opened one up here um, over in Grandview. Oh, that, that place is pretty good, but I've never been sober when I ate it. Yeah, maybe that's the problem. Maybe I uh, shouldn't pound a couple <laughs> margaritas before I... <laughs> before you go through any drive-thru? Yeah. yeah, 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 for sure. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. 
It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Uh, I don't know how we got on that. You were talking about Quinn Ewers um, as a spinoff. From you Kyle asked if there was a Whataburger out in Southlake, and yeah. let me tell you, there is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, think, I think just to put a bow on that, like it's – I, I've watched quite a bit of Kyle McCord for this thing I did that went up on Monday and uh, for a feature I wrote about him back on the on the first signing day. And because of the situation, knowing that Ohio State doesn't have an experienced incumbent quarterback, like you can talk yourself into Kyle McCord playing very easily because he's he's very good. Um, so I have to every time I watch McCord, I'm like, all right, I gotta go watch Stroud and Miller so I don't go off on a whim here and like just declare that Kyle McCord is going to be the guy. But he could be the guy. Like you hear rave reviews about CJ Stroud, and it seems like he has a slight, slight lead in that. Um, I do think Jack Miller's good, but I like there's something on the court that I like. Yes I or no? He's from Philly. Maybe that's what it is. Can Ohio State do it? Um. Yeah, I, I, can they do it? I don't like if he waits. If he waits to. Till game week of week one to do it, and then like McCord starts, like are guys going to leave mid season? It'd be kind of a messed up way to do it, I guess, because you're in that case. Like if you're, I only think guys know where they are. Right? It doesn't matter yeah. like what we know. Like I think you know, someone's going to get the reps. Yeah, yeah, two, yeah. Two they have to before. give reps, and like if the idea is deprive the person who you want to start for your team of reps to, in order to like save the room. I'm not sure that's the most tactical way of like preparing them for a season two because I think McCord stays no matter what. Because whoever starts this year might be only get two years to start, and then McCord would be what a redshirt sophomore at that point. Yeah, like and and Ewers it would be a redshirt freshman. But like all, the one thing I know for sure is that we can break this down until we're blue in the face. We've been breaking down future quarterbacks positions for the past seven years, and it never turns out the way that you think it is. Yeah. It's like, for all I know, some guy who signed with Georgia last, like Vandegrift is going to be Ohio State starter quarterback in two years. <laughs> like, you know, you never know yeah. what's going to happen. But I don't know if you tactically can do it because of the scholarship numbers. I do think they're going to – I I don't know if this guy exists or who it would be. If there's someone out there, like another Gunnar Hoke type of player, um, I think they're going to add him. I think they need to add another one. We've had this conversation before, like they need four scholarship quarterbacks. Like you need four in case two leave. Um, yeah, you need four now because there's a chance you might only have two at some point. Right, right. Like that's I don't ever think you need a fourth to have a fourth, but you might need a fourth in order to like survive if two of your other young quarterbacks end up leaving. It's like yeah. the whole story of the Jack Miller uh, C.J. Stroud recruitment drama was about how you could sign two when one's going to leave. And it's like we never discussed what it was going to be like if they they signed a five-star quarterback behind them. And ironically enough, Ohio State now is bringing somebody even higher rated in the year yeah. after McCord. Right. And it's just like when the dust settles in five years, how many – let me ask you this. Of those five quarterbacks or those four quarterbacks, how many different starters do you think there are going to be at Ohio State's quarterback room in the next three and a half – or three years? Somebody asked me that question, I think, for a mailbag or on the podcast. Oh, and yeah? I, like, I, like, avoided it because it was too hard to answer. Um, so how many of the four, of the four, how many are going to end up starting at Ohio State? Yeah. Go out from 2021 – or the 2021 season to the – and then the four years after it. So 2021, 2022, 2023, and 2024, how many starting quarterbacks will Ohio State have? Uh, two. 
I think two is the easy yeah. layup yeah. answer because like one's gonna leave early and then whatever. But like, there's a chance that like it's two because Ur's takes over in year four for whoever takes the starting reigns now. Yeah, I do but think like, like unless unless whoever the next starter is is just like bonkers good, which I guess is possible. Um, I do like Ewers is going to show up here. I think, or that's like, a, yeah. unless Sark flips him, I guess Sark could flip yeah. him. Yeah, but I don't. I don't think Quinn Ewers is going to look at the Ohio State quarterback situation and like decide to not come here because he already knew what he like. He knew what was coming when yeah. he committed. Um, maybe it hits home for him once it once it becomes real and he's on the verge of signing. I don't know, but I think he's going to show up here. Um, and what happens after that, I have no idea. <laughs> No idea. Well, it's he's like really there's a legitimate possible conversation to have, and if we we could go down this freaking road for the next two hours, have a six hour podcast like Buckeye Talk, and like it would just be like fine. <laughs> but there's a chance that Ewers signs and Stroud and Miller are both already gone by the time he signs. Sure. Yeah. Like, and that's a matter of whether or not or two just, of two how of much, the three or not how much better do you have to be from a physical standpoint? to unseat two guys who were in the program for a year before you got there. That's like how you have to be head and shoulders better than the other two that have been in the program. And it's like, is that possible? I don't know if you can be head and shoulders better than both of them. Yeah. And it isn't at all. Like if, uh, if McCord won and like we presume is good enough to be the starter for three years, then yours would have to sit for two years. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah, he would have to sit for two years. Yeah. If Stroud wins and is just really good this year and next year, and then yours can sit one year, which I think is reasonable, and then start his second year, um, I just don't know if a guy like that's going to wait around for two years <laughs> to, to start. Yeah, it's like in start. a year, like I don't know what happened in college football where waiting two years was like the worst thing you could do, but like at the quarterback position, that's no longer acceptable. Like that used to be the plan come in, sit two years, be a redshirt sophomore, and like get two years to yourself, you know, or yeah. leave after one. You know, that used to be the plan. And it's like now if these kids don't start as a true freshman, they're like already on their way out. And it's just like I understand. I think patience is different than being blocked on the depth chart. Like if you know that there's a clear path after two years of starting, I think you swallow that better than if you are starting behind somebody who is younger or the same year as you. Yeah. I think those are completely different discussions. So, like, you have to have the ability. You chose Ohio State because you wanted to be developed by Ryan Day and become an NFL draft pick. It's like starting as a true sophomore or a redshirt freshman doesn't hinder you from accomplishing that goal. And all it does is make you more prepared to take over when that time comes. Now, if Justin Fields falls out of the sky, there's no such thing as a hierarchy or a progression in a room. But I think it's very fair to leave a program if you – are blocked by somebody, which is why I'm surprised that all the linebackers stayed for all these years because you're playing with people who had eligibility similar to you. But it's like if, if Quinn Ewers comes in and, like, McCord is going on to a second year as a starter, then, like, you sit two years and just, like, nobody knows who they're going to sign in 2023, but, like, you're the guy. And having a, a potential to be the guy is all you could ask for. Mm-hmm. It's when you're buried on the depth chart and don't even know if your chance is going to come that causes people to leave. So, like, I think that, like, you come into Ohio State understanding that, you know, this happens. But I think the best case scenario probably for Ohio State would be for Stroud to win the job because McCord still enrolls when that comes in. And then Quinn can come in. And then by the time they're both battling for that job, like, they're on even footing. 
And, like, that's how you keep both of those guys engaged. But, like, the second somebody that's younger than the two players, that's when things start going off the rails, which is why I don't know if they could actually do it even if they wanted to. He'd have to be immeasurably better to take that risk. And, like, I don't know. Like, even if he's 5% worse than the other two, you can't do it. The 5%'s not worth it. Yeah, I think I think that's right. It's 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 a balance that I guess they would have found themselves working with anyway, right? Even if last year was a normal year and Stroud and McCor- or Stroud and, and Miller had played a little more and there was even more um clarity, I think on where this was going, I think they'd still be in this position cuz Kyle McCord is really good and he was going to show up either way. Um I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm like I'm excited as hell to watch it. <laughs> but um, it could get a little messy. I don't know, and I don't mean like messy and like bring the program down kind of way. Just like it's going to be hard to manage. But the good thing about this sort of situation and people, it's funny because when you read these questions and people who listen to the podcast, they get all wound up about it. But it's like if the quarterback room explodes because people left, that means that Ohio State found their elite level starter for the next three years, and like that's what you want. Yeah. It's like you don't have to have four good players in your quarterback room. What you need to do is find the guy who's going to be as close to as good as Justin Fields is humanly possible then build around that guy. So it's like if, if McCord shows up and Ours D commits because of it and the other two leave, that would be a really shitty situation to be in um, because of depth, and you need better depth. Even Justin Fields' first year taught us that. But on the other hand, like if all that happens and like Ohio State's able to lose those guys because they found – that means McCord is really good. And it's like – the one answer that you need to have for your football team when you're building it is do you have a legit quarterback who can be a national championship winner? And it's like, if you find that, then who gives a shit about everybody else? Like, at that point, then it's just like you found your guy. Now the goal for the next two or three years while that guy is starting is to find the next one. And it's like finding four, the reason why you have four is because you need to find one. Like, that's the whole point of having four. But once you've found one, the battle's over with. Now, you might be able to get a transfer guy or somebody to come in 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 depth, but, like, the point of having, like, Braxton Miller, Cardale Jones, JT Barrett all on the same roster and Dwayne Haskins all on the same – it's like that worked out well for Ohio State, but, like, those days are over. It's never going to happen again. And it's like you might think that it's on the verge of happening right now. It feels like it is, but, like, if somebody put a gun to my head right now and said, what do you think is going to happen in Ohio State's quarterback room, I would say two out of these four will ever start there. And it might be only one when it's all said and done, depending on who gets chosen. Somebody else asked me, and I do want to talk about this defensive hire that's lingering, but this is going on. Someone, I just think it's an interesting question. How many starting quarterbacks, period, does Ohio State have right now, whether they start at Ohio State or someplace else? Three. Three. Yeah, like they're all going to start somewhere. Yeah, yeah. I think <laughs> they've got three starting quarterbacks. Yeah. Um, or they're all going to get a chance to start somewhere. Yeah. Um, and Quinn Ewers would be four. Right. So if you want to add that into the mix, like, but having four starting quarterbacks does you no good. Like, you need one elite one, and how it all maps out in terms of the heart, house of cards, I think, is a secondary concern. I yeah. think you find who you need to find to build the program around, and then you build around that. And yeah. it's like Quinn Ewers is like a really good football player, and the hope for Ohio State fans and Ohio State is that he'll enroll. But like, there's going to be another one in the 2023 class, and there'll be another one in the 2024 class, and it's just like. If McCord turns out to be the next great quarterback in Ohio State history, that gives you three years to find your plan B. Like Ohio State will find. Yeah, and it'll be. It could get shaky in terms of who the backup is, depending on on how this goes. I do think, um, like if if Stroud or Miller wins the job, 
I do think McCord would stick around at, at least for his freshman year and be the backup. Whether or not he'd stay beyond that, I, I mean, I don't know. Um, but I also think like if I, like if you're in that position, I totally get wanting to start and wanting to start early, and sometimes that's more realistic than others. But it's not the worst situation in the world to come and take your swing at Ohio State, and even if you miss to be the backup at Ohio State is also not a terribly terrible place to be in because um, you can become the starter pretty quickly in, in myriad ways. Um, and now in a world so where you can that. move around from program to program with more ease right. as we wait for this rule to change. Which it will. It's like, And it will. You have nothing to lose by engaging in a battle like that. Absolutely, oh, absolutely Cause not. Because like, it's like you can go be the starting quarterback at Kansas State your first year, and that's a really good place to be too. Or you can go and – to Ohio State, not win the job at Ohio State, then transfer to Kansas State. Like those, those, those available options to be a Power Five starter will be there for for players who, you know, aren't good enough to play at Ohio State. And sometimes those players turn out to win the Heisman Trophy and get picked number one overall in the NFL draft. But like for the most part, I think that's a healthy thing to do. And it's like you might even look at it in the reverse way. A uh, player like Preston Stone, who uh, was a top 110 prospect in the country in the 2021 class, committed and signed to with SMU. And it's like he can go play early at SMU for two years and transfer to Oklahoma in three if he wants. Yeah. Like there's a lot of different scenarios with the way that this is all mapping out. But in terms of like, holy crap, how does Ohio State stack all these players? It's just because it's like now when you sign, you've got nothing to lose by taking a swing at something. It's like in the past, if you were deterred from going somewhere because of the depth chart, it's because you didn't want to, you know, wait three years to play. But now you don't have to. You can take your best shot at it. If you win the job, then you're the starting quarterback at Ohio State. And if you don't, then you're a true uh, redshirt freshman starting somewhere else in, the, in year two. And that's where you would have been anyway if you wussed out on it. So, yeah. like, to me, it's like I think stacking at the beginning part, the way Ohio State is, is going to be a regular occurrence. And it's going to help Ohio State find its one elite player. And then once they find their one elite player, then you have to go through the process of stacking the cupboard up again. All right, should we talk about this defensive opening? Yeah, for like, we got for like five got or two ten, and a half minutes, or like yeah. five or ten <laughs> minutes, maybe. Uh, I, I think I think we can get in depth on like the philosophy of it more when it happens, and and I think it'll probably happen soon. Um, but Greg Madison's retiring. There's an opening on a defensive staff. What I'm curious about to know from you is how big of a swing do you think Ryan Day is going to take here? Do you think that he might just promote someone who's already on staff? to a different uh, higher level of whether that's co-coordinator or whatever, um, and then backfill with a position coach? Or do you think he might bring in someone who's already on the coordinator level to work alongside Kerry Combs um, to help fortify what was not a particularly good defense last year? Like uh, He can go a well, lot how of different it, ways. How did you take his tone on the call in terms of how he viewed the defense? A little hard to read, actually. Um I tried to ask, like, are you going to take this in a different direction away from the single high stuff? And, like, in one breath, he kind of said, like, well, we're evolving, and we did stuff last year to evolve. And then in another breath, he said, like, it would be a quicker adjustment if somebody came in who was already well-versed in the single high defense. So I would be pretty surprised if he just, like, scraps that idea wholesale. Um, I still think that's Ohio State's base defense, and they need to work on the change-ups within that scheme when they play a team like Alabama. Um to, to be better equipped when they get on the field with those teams. Also need improvements, personnel, just positional development. But I, I think that's where they stick. Um, but if I think that, and it's like that like that's not Kerry Combs' defense. Like Kerry Combs has not really operated in that system. And he's a defensive coordinator. 
So do you bring in another co-coordinator, which is the title Madison have, who is well-versed in that to help Kerry Combs, even though Kerry Combs is your primary play caller, like last voice on defense, and like you're bringing in someone to help him learn a system that he's supposed to be running? It's kind of a weird dynamic. When's the last time Ohio State only had one coordinator? Hasn't it been like five or six Uh, years at this point now? I'm trying to think if Shiano was ever the lone, the sole coordinator. I can't remember. I think in 2017 he was. Fickle left after 2016. Grinch came in 2019. No. Yeah. Sorry, Grinch came in 2018. I think in 2017 Shiano might have been the lone coordinator. Yeah. It's like, I don't know. It's it's. I think the coordinator title is more about getting somebody who's qualified for that to want to come or somebody who has an ability but wants a coordinator title than is about responsibility. So, like, I think that's what's going to end up happening because you might get a better candidate because you give them the title. But I don't know if it's because Kerry Combs can't handle the revamp of whatever they're going to do defensively. It's like I think that the school of thought that Kerry Combs is in over his head is a little premature because mm-hmm. he's doing it with some players. And funny, he recruited a few of them. Uh, before he left, but doing it with players that he didn't recruit in a system that he didn't design during a year where nobody could play two weeks in a row. And it's just like, I understand that it was frustrating to see what happened in the national title game, but it's just like, I don't know that I've like lost hope or or lost confidence in his ability to design and, and create a scheme of a great elite level defense. I just think it was kind of an odd year, but that doesn't mean like, I think we always talked about, like, diversity being important in hiring. And, you know, I don't even mean it from, like, a race standpoint. I just mean, like, you know, race ideas. is great. You know, but ideas, ages, no. experiences to parts of the country. You know, maybe a different race, but somebody who can come in and, like, have a different viewpoint. And, and that's an important thing from a recruiting standpoint, too, because when I did the uh, story that I did before the year, this is a major part of it, too, as a recruiting decision as much as it is about who's going to design the defense and who's going to be the Chris Ash that fixes what happened in the previous year to win a national championship you also need somebody who meshes well in the defense or in the recruiting room and I did this survey of uh, coaches or sorry recruiting staffers about recruiting going into the signing period and I asked what's the most important thing to a functional recruiting staff and one said diversity and he said, "It's you got to have somebody who went to a private school. You got to have somebody who grew up in the inner city. You've got to have somebody who went to public school. That way, no matter who you're recruiting, there's somebody on the staff that can, can relate directly to that person. And I think that makes a lot of sense, both in the schematic standpoint, but also in the realm of acquiring talent to order to run what you want. So, like Kerry Combs is a um, older guy who." isn't as old as people think he is, but has white hair, but is still an old guy. I don't know how to, he's an older coordinator who has been a high school staff uh, or high school head coach and has been a coordinator or a, a position coach in the NFL and like has done a lot of great things for Ohio state. Like that is a big chunk of that. I would maybe go hire somebody younger who has fresh ideas, who has a completely different path than Kerry Combs to getting to that spot so that you can work through it together. I think diversity, not just in, the typical way we think about diversity, but diversity in like just a mindset standpoint is a huge deal when it comes to it. And I think that's what I would prefer to see if I were an Ohio state. I agree with that um, a lot actually. And, but I, but I also think on some level, I think like Kerry Combs is that guy. 
Like you're you're right. Like he's familiar to Ohio State fans, but he left Ohio State for two years ago to the NFL. He was with Dean Peace and Mike Rabel. They do so much different shit. Like he came back, like he said, he is a defensive a book of defensive football as big as all outdoors, I think is what Kerry Combs said. But in that book of defensive football, and if someone listening wants to correct me if I'm wrong, this defense, Ohio State's base defense, like is not in there. He's, I, I don't believe he's ever done it. Um, it's a very sort of specific thing that they do. It's like the, it's the Pete Carroll, Seahawks, Legion of Boom stuff. So, and Ryan Day talked about like, well, we, if we wanted a guy with different perspective, I think that could be good, and I do agree with that. But I think it might be that Kerry Combs already is the guy with different perspective, and you could use a guy who is more well versed in this base defense that you want to run. Unless you're changing it, and if you're changing it, forget everything I'm saying. But if you're sticking with it. I think it could help them to bring in somebody, whether that's at a coordinator level or just a position coach, um, who who knows this defense in and out a little more than Kerry Combs does at the moment. I think Kerry Combs will learn it over time, but I'm not sure. Like He's not as well-versed in it, I think, as Jeff Halfley was, because Jeff Halfley worked under Robert Sala for a couple of years, and Robert Sala worked under Pete Carroll. Um, and, there, and I think somewhere on that tree, there is a guy who maybe doesn't necessarily need to be a coordinator who could come in. So like what I, what I think might happen is like Kerry Combs is the guy. He's the defensive coordinator. He is what he was last year. I think like I think Al Washington might be ready for a bump up. I like him a lot. I think he's a really good linebackers coach. He's 36, I think. He's he was courted on some level to be Boston College's head coach last year, even though went to Halfley. I think like he's he's an up and coming guy who you might need to give a coordinator title just to like maybe keep him around a couple years. And like you don't give that to somebody unless you think they can handle it, but I think he can handle it and might help you keep him around longer. He's a really good recruiter. Um, I, I like him a lot. If he got a bump up to like co-coordinator, basically just like replace Greg Madison, and then you go hire somebody, whether that's a linebackers coach or you move Matt Barnes, linebackers coach, and you hire another secondary coach who knows this single high safety system and maybe doesn't need to be a coordinator. I think that's maybe where this is going. It's just about like how much do you want to react to what happened in the playoff? You know, it's like some people might yeah. be like, this is the end of the world. We got to get somebody new in here. Because Ohio State, if you go back and you look at just the, the last 10 years of the program, or maybe even the last seven, every time people have left a season with a disgusting taste in their mouth about the way things went defensively, what did Ohio State do? They went and hired somebody from the outside who came in and revamped the defense. It happened with Chris Ash, and then it happened again with Halfley. Now, now Ryan Day made that hire. But when Ohio State is in the position that it's in right now, and I don't know if you want to put Ohio State in that same category of how drastic it felt like a change was necessary after the 2018 season when it was a dumpster fire, but I still think we're kind of like in that like same department or that same kind of fringe area where people want changes. And like, how much do you take what happened against Alabama as a feeling of necessity to bring somebody in that wasn't involved at all in what happened last year? Um, I think it impacts it. I, I, they did do new stuff that I think can help them in some of the situations they found themselves in against Alabama. I don't think they repped it enough to be proficient in it when they got on the field against Alabama. And part of that is because the season was so weird. Part of it is because they were worse off, I think, from a personnel standpoint than they typically have been, especially on the back end of the defense. So it's not like they have no answers. I think they do have answers. Um, and Kerry Combs can get them there. But I also think it would help them to have somebody who spent more time in this. And, like, the rest of the staff has been in for two years or it's going on three years now. So, like, it's not, it's not like they don't know it. Um, but I think I think someone who can come in with, like, this base knowledge and also change-ups to this base 
um, would help them a lot. I don't I don't think you need to scrap the thing entirely, but they're pretty rigid in, in this. Um, even if you like watch the Seahawks, like they're they are they're known for this, but they are not as rigid as this. Um, few teams are as rigid as Ohio State is, as like lining up with one safety in the middle of the field pre-snap. Usually, teams disguise it a little more, um, and I think Ohio State will move will do that moving forward. So, I don't I don't think whatever this hire is is bringing like drastic drastic changes to the defense. I think the defense is what it is, but you could use someone like what Ryan Day said with a little more diversity of um, background or, or ideas. I guess is a better way to put it to to help you broaden the perspective a bit. Um, moving forward, so I don't I don't think it's going to be like a splashy kind of home run kind of deal, though. I, I just don't I don't think that's what they're. They're not going to hire Brent Venables, Mark D'Antonio. Yeah, that'd be good. He's he's available. <laughs> he doesn't <laughs> run the defense at all, but he's available. <laughs> Bo Pelini is also available. We're going to bring the former Buckeye home. Um, I don't know. I think it's going to be it interesting didn't go to see. So well, the last time it did not. Um, I, I think this will wrap up relatively quickly. Um, maybe even possibly in time for us to talk about it on, on our next episode. So, But it's important to hire for Ryan Day. Um, and if he does take a swing, I think that might say a lot about how he felt about the decisions he made last year, but I don't think he's there yet. Um, and, I like again, I, I think anyone who's out on Kerry Combs already needs to walk it back just a little bit. Um, but Kerry's got to improve. I, I think he will. Um, and this hire is important, I think, to, to help him in that. So I'm curious to see where they go with it. Yeah, yeah, certainly important, and you know, in a world where the competition that you're going against uh, for the foreseeable future has been so darn good at replacing assistants, um, Ohio State, as much as they have to acquire the talent and go toe to toe with Alabama on the recruiting front, they've also got to show savvy, legit, uh, productive hires as these mm-hmm. come, because the more years that go by and the more Ohio State's in these conversations and in these games the more turnover there's going to be in these positions so you know assistant coaches are important but they're also replaceable but replacing them the right way and the wrong way is the difference between what you're seeing now and what might have happened in 17 and 18 yeah so that's what's up next for Ohio State is is finding uh, whoever this is to replace Greg Madison on the staff and and when that happens we'll certainly keep you up to date with it thanks for listening to this episode of 4 to 6 with A&B if you like what you hear please subscribe rate and review wherever you find podcasts leave us a 5 star review on Apple greatly appreciate it subscribe to The Athletic theathletic.com slash 4 dash 6 for the most part I think the plan now that we're kind of in the off season is to do this um, once a week, every week, early in the week, might be an off week here and there where we don't do it based off vacations and stuff like that. But our plan is, is to do it most weeks, um, between now and, and leading up to spring football that might happen <laughs> in March and might not, but Ohio state has a, a staff member to hire has 15 new players on campus is looking to start workouts in February on February 1st. So the off season is in full swing and we'll obviously be here every week to talk to you guys about that. So thanks for listening. We'll talk to you guys next week. Mm-hmm.